Welcome to the T's and C's. Tisa and Chantel. Also known as the Terms and Conditions. Welcome to the T's and C's Reflection, our weekly mini-sode during the COVID-19 global pandemic. We are really excited to be joined by multiple alumni guests, Dan, <laughs> Dan Rennick. Hello, nice to see you guys again. Nice to see you again. Um, we love bringing Dan on the podcast because his race and class analysis is always so on point. He really helps us, me personally, and T sort of come to terms with political moments when we're feeling a bit sort of at despair. Um, so it's always really good to have a voice like Dan's on the podcast. Just for reference, we are recording a, a week and a bit before this podcast has been released. So it is actually the 3rd of June today. So you might gather from my voice that I am slightly exhausted because we are currently in the middle of the week where... People are now claiming to care about black lives. Um, and But before we get into anything like that, we're going to sort of start from, and if you haven't listened to it before, the last episode of our general election reflection, episode seven, we did with Dan at the end of last year. And Dan basically helped us come to terms with and frame through a very, very articulate and important race and class analysis of why Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party had lost the general election in 2019. So we're going to start from that point, thinking about what was happening at the end of the year and what we sort of concluded was the failures of the left and then build into the politics of this global pandemic. And it might seem like a bit of a stretch, but they are very much linked in our eyes, to be honest. Well, we lost, didn't it? We lost. We, we had such a resounding defeat that nobody had any real optimism for the future. And we had to just prepare for four years of Boris. Five years. Fixed time parliament, sorry. Five years of a conservative majority of 80, right? And we saw no real hope. And then COVID came, innit? And COVID allowed us to find such a level of government incompetence that we actually dreamed that this might be the end of the Tories prematurely, right? So it became this thing of we state the crisis as clearly as possible and maybe Boris has to go, maybe a national unity government forms, right? We shine the shit of the moment with the extremity of the moment in the hope that by stating the death toll or the failures to test track and isolate or Dominic Cummings, which is a joke of a scenario, and we'll get to that in time, right? We hope that through riding these things, we would be able to expedite Tory reign and bring to a close this chapter of our history and reintroduce some hope into our politics. And on almost every one of these fronts, a cynical, simplistic leftism has taken the place of meaningful analysis, right? To the point that we are now in a very, very dangerous place because... Like the long term outcome from the decisions that I see being made right now and the hysterical tone that they've taken mean that the far right are going to feed on the carcass of this moment, right? And the leftists who have found themselves very happy to say 60,000 dead from COVID alone, right, are going to be shown when the studies are done and when we actually understand how many people have died from cancers or a lack of treatment or a fundamental shift of, our, of NHS services and of that is a consequence of our mitigation strategy, which goes into our excess death at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. That everyone who spoke in such a shrill tone is going to look like hyperbolic, hysteric, hypochondriac pricks 
who tried to state a moment of crisis more than it was. And Rain, when you know, you guys know I come from an analysis of Grenfell. This isn't new to me, man. Right? There's a politics of survivors and there's a politics of victimhood. Right? There's a politics of saying that the death toll in Grenfell was 500, thinking that if you inflate a death toll, you bring down a government, as if the numbers count, as if the callous indifference of our state can all of a sudden be overcome just by the power of the negation itself, without any work, right? without any organizational work, without any, any ideology. It's just, look how bad this situation is, right? And it's just a word of advice to the leftist commentators and the Twitter arties, right? If you're saying the same thing and just switching a few reference and the syntax of your sentence for two months, generally you've started to say the wrong thing, you know, right? Mm. Generally you've started to say the wrong thing. We're looking at remittances down by 20%, right? We're looking at already an economic crash in certain parts of the world, which people are saying is going to come after the COVID, right? But when countries are completely reliant upon migrant workers sending money back home, and that money no longer comes because people can't work, then people are starving. You have the UN warning of biblical famines, and there's people praising the continued closure of schools as if it's the revolution. Right? And I've had my head in my hands. Right? I've had my head in my hands for the last six weeks. Right? Because at, fir at first I agreed. Right? I completely agreed. Right? I went with this, let's expand the state, despite the fact that these are callous bastards with very little mouse. Right? But the moment necessitates me giving up my liberties to these guys who were going to swell the state to deal with the crisis. But they didn't swell the state to deal with the crisis. They deregulated and they outsourced. And consequently, every lesson that should have been learned from Grenfell, the inverse happened. And I saw myself facing a very real perilous moment. And what did I have for my side? I had a left that were going, what do you mean? COVID, COVID, COVID. As if you just can, can continue to hysterically and shrilly state the moment and then forego any meaningful criticality to be able to guard us against this app, for example, right? Your position on this is that we've fallen behind in recognising the structural consequences of completely locking down everything all the time. It's not that you're saying that lockdown itself is bad, it's that we're not having a, a useful and practical analysis of what this actually means in the long term for marginalised people. If we think about what lockdown was for right lockdown was sold to us and we all became and i was an advocate for it and you can read my pieces right yeah. i've got a medium thing you can see it dan rennick god medium you can read my we can read where i'm going right and i wrote a piece called leviathan in which i state a hobbesian argument for why we have the lockdown right which is that we need a state to deal with a moment of absolute crisis and we do right i'm not i'm not a, i'm not an anti-statist right I yeah. do believe in the necessity of a state. And in that moment, I definitely believed and gave up my consent. But my consent was predicated on the NHS being overwhelmed and mass death through overwhelmed services. It was yeah. not to establish a tech security state above my head. Yeah? And I'm very, very careful about mission creep. Right? So, okay, we're not, we did this to stop the NHS from being overwhelmed. Right? I don't want, like, I read Thomas Payo's stuff, but I... The, if you read his dancing lessons, and I mean, this is his language, the hammer and the dance, right? If you read him, his piece, Learning How to Dance, bro, yeah? Taiwan, if I turn my phone off, private security comes to my house within 45 minutes. Do I want that scenario in this country? Do I fuck, right? And if anybody tries to tell me that that's my moral duty at this moment in time, they want to make sure that they keep it at a social distance. Dan, this is what I'm trying to say. 
like I, this is what I'm trying to say. The left have failed to have that critique of how capitalism is reorganizing itself, how things are being reorganized. And we have no ideological answer for this. So, like you said, they responded to the crisis, literally, it's very superficial, but not looking how things are moving, how the app's being made. Like, so the choices were between Google and Apple or the state. Mm-hmm. That's the only choice we presented. I don't want either of those choices, right? Because they're both fucked up, aren't they? So when I started looking further, I'm thinking, what is the response to this, this shift in neoliberalism? There is none. I haven't heard anyone say anything and thinking, well, what? So like you said, when all, the, when all this kind of calms down, we look hysterical. You locked us down for no reason. I'm like, no, but we need an answer. We need something that's robust. But no one's doing that work. Easing of the lockdowns come too early. We need to test, track and isolate mm. first, right? Mm. But... Mm-hmm. I mean, Ceasefire put out a great piece yesterday saying why it's your civic duty to not download the official app, right? And mm. it's a very, very good, cogent argument from a legal academic. The, the headline mm. is quite salacious, right? And it's good, right? It's a great piece. I shared it, right? But the left aren't saying that, generally. They're saying test, track, and isolate. And in so doing, they are providing the groundwork of a centralized app, right? The, the difference mm-hmm. between Apple and Google's what co-worked on app and the UK government's mm-hmm. is that it centralizes data, stores data, and keeps a profile of us, whereas Google and Apple's doesn't, right? Mm. We brought in the people who were behind the Vote Leave campaign to develop this app. So, like, <laughs> really, re- really deep it, right? Really deep it. This is a tech security state in its worst form, and test, track, and isolate before you can ease the lockdown as a condition of it. Okay, like... If that's manual contact tracing, right? If it's what the Germans doing, right? If it's a non-invasive Bluetooth form without the need of this app, right? Because there's plenty of ways that this stuff can be done. I'm willing to listen. Like I'm, like, I've, I've got vulnerable family members. I've got very close friends who've lost family. I've got acquaintances I've lost through this situation, right? Yeah. I've, I maintain my social distance. I don't go to mass gatherings, which we can come to in a minute. Um, yeah. So. Like, I take this as seriously as anybody can as an individual, but when it comes to a solution-based approach, and I think we have to think pragmatically and around a solution, I want a left that says, I don't give consent to a tech security state that doesn't even work, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to give this thing up for mission creep, right? These guys think that just by stating a problem and stating a void, that the thing that's going to fill it is going to look and resemble socialism. Whereas what mm. it looks like is dystopia. It looks like it looks and feels like dystopia. Every single day I read this stuff and I'm like, are you not serious that you aren't calling this out? And I feel like I'm going mad. Like, I genuinely feel like I'm going mad. <laughs> it's really interesting watching almost like the fall of capitalism, but equally it evolving into something even more sinister. Is what I think you're both kind of saying. And not having an opposition to that that evolution of capitalism is 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 terrifying but it's almost like capitalism itself is it's been able to evolve because we have no means of actually handling something so dramatic and chaotic as a global pandemic it seems just insane that actually what comes out of this is something even worse than what what was there before like it's not like realizing capitalism doesn't work ultimately leads to hope or something that's more equitable what happens at the end of capitalism is something worse than capitalism don't think we're seeing the end of capitalism though right 
Like what we like, what we're seeing is a is a shutdown, and we're seeing a shutdown because these guys realise that if they sh- if they didn't shut down, the unmitigated dem- disaster of overwhelmed health services would lead to the collapse of their government. Not the collapse of capitalism itself, but the collapse of their government. An untenable situation, right? So they had to act to preserve the to, this reform to conserve logics, right? This fundamental conservatism, right? This has been done as a way of stopping the far worse situation from emerging, right? And within that moment, they have operated with with outsourcing to Deloitte for health services. Deloitte have got the big contracts and then are subcontracting G4S and Serco to fuck. And we're supposed to say, this is socialism. This is the end of capitalism. No, 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 no. Right? None of that is happening. This is neoliberalism, neoliberal crisis management. And trust me, man, I've seen this stuff before. They're very good at it, right? They're very good at it. It looks like a green heart, yeah? It looks like a green heart. It looks like forever in our hearts. It looks like talking about loss without talking about rage. It looks about talking about tragedy and not crime, right? It's respectability, isn't it? It's it's a way of defanging us so that what happened was this inevitability as opposed, or this tragedy as opposed to a criminality, right? And the worst thing is that there are Southeast Asian nations who we praise, who are working on a pandemic preparedness plan that we drafted in 2008, right? In theory, the UK still leads the world in how you deal with pandemics. In practice, the UK is a laughingstock. Why is that? Right, because of the very forces that are now being enabled through the pandemic, which is outsourced, deregulated market state logics. Right. Go on, T. What were you going to say, T? Didn't Deloitte fuck up the testing? Is that the yeah. They fucked up the testing, didn't they? (laughs) They fucked up the testing. It's mad. So here we are, right? Boom. 2020, halfway through the year. I don't know what to think anymore. I don't trust anyone. Don't trust any politician. What do we do? Where do we go? Where do we go? Up our game. Dominic Cummings beat us twice in a five-year period. Yeah? He beat us with vote leave and then he won for Boris, right? And what do we do? We try and disqualify him through misdemeanor. We're like the boxers who can't beat Tyson and try and do him for biting Evander Holyfield's ear, right? Like, seriously, that's what it is. Like, state what he did. And I'll be honest, right? If 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 I work for Boris Johnson and Boris Johnson has just gone into hospital, whether we believe that whole thing or not, and I do think that there's worth in questioning how serious Boris's condition was, but let's go with the official narrative, right? At that moment in time, you've got the entire press pack outside your house and you're Dominic Cummings. Are you going to stay in London, right? If I'm Dominic Cummings, am I going to stay in London? I'm going to cut out if I can, right? And trust me, I know leftist activists who have banged on about PPE who have left with symptoms from their house, right? I know that many of these guys would have gone out and are posting with incredulity that they can't have sex with another household. What do you think social distancing means? Yeah. So I know that these misdemeanors are there for the vast majority of our society. And I don't think we can invalidate Dominic Cummings. And I think the whole Cummings fiasco is an embarrassment for our movement. Right. I think we we've stopped trying to actually understand process, come up with solutions. We've just hysterically stated problems in the hope that saying it again and again and again will make something happen. 
Do you know what? I hear you. I hear you there because actually on reflection, even though I was just so I was so raging about the Cummins thing, just because he's got one of the most important jobs in the country and he's seen breaking the rules and they've been going on and on and on about everyone about sticking to the rules. So on a more personal, emotional level, whatever, I was like, fuck him. However, listening to what you're saying now, Dan, it is interesting how actually thinking about the, our tactics in that we haven't learned from the past in terms of how we actually bring down these people. It's not by condemning them. They thrive when we prove that they've done something wrong. It makes them more popular. They thrive on it. <laughs> Dominic Cummings, the person who said herd immunity, if a few elderly people die, so be it. Yeah? Or Dominic Cummings, who helped draft the rules of the lockdown, right? Because they're not the same person, are they? Right? Either he's an advocate of the lockdown, which nobody said he was, yeah, prior to him committing the misdemeanor. And then after committing the misdemeanor, it became the man behind the lockdown. Well, he was never the man behind the lockdown, right? And I know plenty of people who don't support the lockdown, right? And we have nations like Sweden and the Netherlands and Japan and others who have never gone down this route, right? And coming sits not in a condition of eugenicist Hitler who's happy to have herd immunity, but within a consensus that exists with both within and outside the European world that, some, that fundamentally is based about capacity, right? The fundamental problem with herd immunity in this country as it was approached in the early days was that we had, through austerity and privatization, destroyed the capacities of the NHS to be able to take it on the chin, right? Not that a controlled spread of COVID isn't actually a strategy that can and sh can be put into practice should the conditions exist, right? And we don't know at this moment in time whether Sweden in this winter that's coming is going to fare better than Denmark, right? It could well be that the second wave hits those nations that have locked down hard and have no immunity whatsoever, and Sweden can process this a bit better. And at that moment in time, we, we, we have to be open and critical enough to be able to say, okay, well, maybe Sweden had it right, yeah? Maybe Sweden had it right, but instead we've had to make Sweden akin to eugenicism, yeah? And we've made Dominic Cummings both responsible for the lockdown and eugenics, eugenics which doesn't work, right? We have to pick and be consistent because our contradictions will hang us. Yeah, because I tell you who is consistent at this moment in time. The far right. 100%. This is what I've been saying to people. They've been singing for the same hymn sheet for a long time. That takes an ideology, man. And that's what I think is lacking from our side. I don't I don't know what we coalesce around. Like, the thing about Dominic, Dominic Cummings, it's low-hanging fruit. Yeah, it is. He's, exactly he's, right. He yeah. has power. He has power. And you don't. And look at look what he's doing. He's taking a piss. And most people will get their backs up about it. But ultimately, what will happen? Nothing. And you lose, you lose all that momentum that you built up. You lose what you could have turned into something, into something that could be quite incisive, quite damaging to them. But we lose that. But but the thing is that we still had a loaded punch, right? Until we went and gathered in our thousands. Yeah? Until we all threw away the importance, right? Beginning of that, when, when Boris didn't close the pubs immediately and people went out drinking that night, Daniel Trillian posted, go in drinking isn't the blitz spirit. Is the equivalent of opening up the open up the blinds in a air raid, yeah, mm -hmm. letting the virus know exactly where you are and spreading it, right? And we went and gathered in our thousands, right? The biggest mass gathering since the lockdown happened by the left's watch, right, and with Black Lives Matter, right? And yes, there was an advisement to wear masks, right? But 
fundamentally, what are we saying, man? We haven't got consistency, have we? And it is going to be our... We're sca- like we've got so taking us back even to yeah December 2019 or autumn 2019 or even fucking 2017. We're so scattered. We're so. But, but if we're so divided. If we've spent if we've spent weeks saying Dominic Cummings driving to Durham put us all at risk, we really shouldn't be gathering in groups of thousands. We shouldn't, right? We just shouldn't, right? Parks and open air spaces are safe. So long as we don't have, we're not packed around with people, right? And people say, oh, yeah, but there's been this lax lockdown. There's been this, there's been that. That's why we're on the verge of a second wave. That's why the R number's not falling, right? But then we gather like we did in those numbers, yeah? And we lose the legitimacy of our argument. We know that this, that COVID-19 and the government's approach to it is we have the basis of a case of state crime, of gross criminal negligence, Yeah? In exactly the same way that we did with Hillsborough, in exactly the same thing we, the way we did with Grenfell, in exactly the same way we did with Alpha Piper, in exactly the same way we did with Abavan, and this is at a higher level, yeah? And mm-hmm. the temporality and the space and time, and it's there to be debated, but trust me, people know this. And to build our case, we need to be able to say that it's the government who hold that responsibility. I literally looked at the images coming out of Saturday's demo, and I could see Paul Joseph Watson in my head, yeah? I could hear him going, okay, so the BAME report says that black and brown people are more likely to die as a consequence. I wonder why that is. And cutting to Trafalgar Square. And we should not give the far right that ammunition. Yeah? And if we do, we have to be very clear that we can't just go from one argument to the next without any real rationality or ideology that underpins it so that it's just rage that we're justified in that position shift. Right? Because the consequences... It's more loss of life unless we're careful. Unless the pandemic is over, unless something is... We're, 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 we're looking at more loss of life as a consequence of our action now. And it's not a position we should be in. Like, if we're going to go for Dominic Cummings' throat, we need to be morally pure. We need to not be going outside of our house. We need to not be committing misdemeanors ourselves. right? But if we're willing to do all of that, if we're going to go out on roads in such numbers, we kind of have to give up on Dominic Cummings as a bastard. Yeah? And we kind of have to give up on the argument that the government are inducing a second wave by a lack shutdown. Yeah. And we have yeah. to, and I'd like to see consistency from our side. I'm not saying that it's wrong. Like, I think what happened to George Floyd necessitates action. But I would say that it's not a time for Packard politics. I'd say if you're on the smoke, go be on the smoke, right? I have full support of what people did to the Minnesota Police Department. I have full support for the radical actions we're seeing emerging in the United States. But like, I haven't been on a Stop the War demo apart from to film it for the longest time because I got messed up by demonstrations in my early years and they never were efficacious, right? And I find the moral need argument for me to be there and turn up was not really that helpful. And I ended up just being surrounded by forward intelligence teams and having cameras put upon me and I didn't understand what else it was doing but helping the state understand my politics, right? Mm. Like, what have we achieved through mass gatherings, right? Let's ask ourselves that question. We're going to talk, we can maybe talk about the Arab Spring, talk about Egypt, but they've got CC in power right now, right? So, right, I don't, I don't really know what we're saying if we're saying mass gatherings in and of themselves are going to change the situation, right? Dan, you're at, I would say, you're at the extreme end, right? You're someone who's thought about these things a lot, right? 
mass gatherings is how people think, how you show your feelings in a democracy, how you show you're upset about an issue. It's been told to you in the narrative that mass, mass gatherings equal change. Now, if you study historical record in any detail, it doesn't actually equal that, but that's the narrative that most people are sold, and that's how they feel. I understand that, but the idea of trying to, make, to have that kind of purity in how you carry your, their daily lives, that, that's not going to happen. No, and I agree. The far right, and the far right did that as well. So the far right knew that there's a bunch of skinheads jumping around and Ku Klux Klan members, and they're fucking assholes. And they, for a long time, they tried to get them to wear suits and play the game, but they were never going to play the game. But what they were smart at and what they were very good at, generating a solidarity that linked all these groups that allowed them to be individuals, allowed them to be fuck-ups, but we sing from the same page on this one particular issue. So I think it's about being incisive on that one issue, be it Dominic Cummings, be it whatever it is, be incisive and precise about the image. And we can have, have a solidarity around that. But it's always going to be members of our broad church that are fuckwits, man, that are just all over the place. Do you know what I mean? Within that, I mean, that I will never say that people shouldn't gather for George Floyd in American cities, and I'm not saying yeah. that acts of solidarity mm. could, shouldn't cross the pond. They absolutely should, and, and I think it's a beautiful display of ma- meaningful solidarity when done right. Mm. But I find it very hard for somebody, because I've argued that we need to ease the lockdown, right? I've argued mm. we need to ease the lockdown because this is a time-specific good, Yeah. We introduced the lockdown so the NHS would not be overwhelmed. But as a consequence of the lockdown, we have 2,000 cases of cancer being undetected per week. Right? Mm-hmm. We have people mini- have had their chemo stopped. People have had so chemo stopped. People, people, people have had yeah. chemo stopped. Children are in abusive houses with alcoholic parents. Women are in houses with abusive partners. Like yeah. mental, it's I, I, as somebody yeah. who suffers with mental health problems myself, the lockdown isn't helping me. Right? The yeah. ability to sit at a table with a knife and fork is something that now feels like a luxury because I simply can't do it in my yard at this moment in time, right? So mm. I, I need I need this shit lifted, especially because I don't see a solution coming for the winter, right? So I think mm. we need a summer, right? For our own mental health, we need some level of release. So I've pushed for that for a long time. And from certain sections of the left, whenever I raise these things, I was shouted down and told I was wrong, right? And those very same people... Don't say a word of criticality when we have this mass gathering, right? And so for me, there is this fundamental inconsistency here, right? Which we shouldn't be having at this moment in our history. This is a pandemic, right? That is adversely impacting working class, black and brown lives. Those who are frontline workers, those who are in overcrowded housing, right? And I mean, there's a section of that protest who came to North Ken and went to Grenfell Tower in hundreds, yeah? Mm-hmm. Like, we should not go anywhere near overcrowded housing. If we're going to go and do an act like that, we have to be smart enough to do it like they did today in Hyde Park, in big open spaces, and not trail off to go anywhere close to people who are shielded, to close to communities where there were, there were at-risk individuals, because this is still a pandemic, right? Like, and, and, and we can and should think two thoughts in our head at the same time. We have the capacity. Yeah, we've got too much binary thinking on the left. I feel like that's a good point. It's scary. It's a scary moment because ev- all of our mistakes are in are written in the internet's permanent ink, right? And they can and will be used against us, right? Like, Daniel Hannon wrote the many pieces throughout this period, Toby Young, all of these guys, right? And the consistency of the, of the left, which even goes for Simon Jenkins in The Guardian, who is the more kind of acceptable face of British conservatism, they're saying if Sweden get it right, 
and we've established a tech security state and a shutdown that wasn't necessary, what are we going to say, right? And as opposed to even consider that as a possibility, the vast majority of the left have just tried to find a way of making Sweden a basket case, right? And Sweden's death rate is far higher than its Scandinavian counterparts, but also the spread of this disease is, right? And what happens in the winter that comes is going to determine a lot of these arguments. But there was a piece I read in The Lancet the other day that said, on a per capita basis in a year's time, the rate of death is going to be comparable across the world unless there is a cure or a vaccine, right? Because mm -hmm. it's about when deaths happen, not in, if deaths happen. COVID will kill, okay. right? Right? So we're in a point where we're redistributing deaths, and we're redistributing deaths in a way that stops our NHS or our local health services from being overwhelmed, right? And if that is what the moment of history we are living through is, then we have to act accordingly, yeah? We cannot throw away that fundamental responsibility. We can't, right? And within that, right, we have to really think creatively about what it is that we hold in our power, because we hold far more power than just our ability to stand in Trafalgar Square, man, right? Mm -hmm. We do, right? Like, as a movement, and, like, there are things that can be done. There's discussion of boycotts, right? And there's loads of stuff I see emerge that I'm like, yeah, like, there's creative and interesting ways, right? Or you can have a, a form of protest where you don't break protocol, right? Where you're militant within it, and you break off into little six-person cells and go all over and do bear actions at the same time, right? There's ways and means of doing stuff at a moment of history like this without compromising the fundamental point, which is the government are negligent and responsible for mass death and we hold them to account. But don't throw that argument away, right? Like, don't build that argument for three months and then throw it away and then pretend you didn't throw it away, right? Because that's what I've seen happen. Always giving us spoof of thought, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us. And you look like you're going to explode, man. You're going to explode. <laughs> it's just, it's hard, isn't it? Because I feel bad. I feel bad because I, I want to be in Hyde Park right now, right? In any other moment mm. in history right now, I want, I'd be there with the masses, right? Because I want to be, right? With me there telling people understand your history. Cut it out, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Read better books. Thank you so much for joining us, Dan. So much food for thought for everyone. Um, we'll be back again next week. Look after yourselves, everyone, and stay safe.